my blessing through the darkness was understanding that my eyes were only one of five senses. I have multiple disabilities, but I choose to be enabled through them all and I will find a way forward. And if I can't find a way forward, Andy, I'll try and be a voice to help the next generation have a way forward. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. welcome to the final episode of Down to Earth Conversations for 2023. I'm Andy Dixon, it's so good to have you joining me. Today's guest, Donna Dyson, is a fantastic human with an inspirational story. Her life has changed significantly on several occasions throughout her life, yet she's managed to pivot and to keep finding ways to move forward and to bring life to others as she does it. It's a little bit longer than usual, but there was just so much goodness I didn't want to cut any of it out. We talk about teaching, literacy, health conditions and disability. We hear about moments of Donna's life that mark significant endings and how she turned them into new beginnings. We hear about joy, passion and a love for people, as well as the beauty of seeing people's hearts. This is a truly hope-filled episode to finish the year with. This is episode 85 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Donna Dyson. It's a privilege to be talking to Donna Dyson today. Kia ora, Donna. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. I'm really excited to be here. And um, usually my first question is, you know, to tell us a little bit about yourself, but I think we're going to kind of maybe un- go through your story a little bit and people can find out about you as we go through. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll wander through this conversation and see where it goes. But um, part of your story involves a fairly dramatic change uh, to life in your mid-40s and we're mm-hmm. going to get to that but first what was life like before that what was pre-40s Donna uh well or I who, was who um, was pre not what was who, who, I was, who was pre-40s I was. Donna <laughs> sure um my early years I was very creative and ballet was a very large part of that um I had singing lessons and dance was um a very big part of my life there is a I'm from Australia and I live in Brisbane on the Anjing country and in our uh, capital city here one of the large football ovals of the time it's now Suncorp but it, it was Ballymore and my father um, is an elite um, he's passed now but he was an elite rugby player and uh, very important in Australian rugby and he used to say to me that he wanted me to ballet less and ballet more um, that was his little joke about you know <laughs> yeah coming over and watching a bit more rugby in, in my life um, but look dance was very important to me and uh, I loved children um, I loved teaching ballet when I was younger and then that led to my passion to becoming an educator. Um, So I have been obviously a daughter and a sister. I have one brother. Um, I am now an aunt to his uh, children. Um, I'm a godmother of 28 children and who are now young adults, some of them. Um, And I am very blessed to be married to the love of my life. Um, And then I became an educator um, well, I was an educator before I got married, but you know, I was an educator and uh, a past academic um, university lecturer. 
Um, I've been a prolific author in children's literacy because that's my academic speciality. And uh, right through all of those journeys, pre the 40 and continuing, I'll, I'll add in some extra things for you. I really love cooking. Um, I've taken on my mother's love of gardening. And um, I love the home and I love opening up that. I have a, um, I, I, th- I consider it as a spiritual gift of hospitality. I love entertaining. Yeah, awesome. I love people. Um, I love and, people you know, who love hospitality, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go to their house. <laughs> love it. Um, yeah. And so I suppose that's, that's pretty much my life before 40. I do have to add one little health thing in there. When I was two... I followed, my mum was very, she's a very gifted horticulturist in in that she could grow anything. And um, she had this cacti garden that she was experimenting on and I was uh, swinging on the gate waiting for her and I fell over the gate and into the cacti plant and the thorn on one of the cacti went through my left eye and I ended up with a traumatic cataract and I went blind in my left eye when I was two. Now, my father carried the guilt for that for all of his life because he snipped off every thorn bar the one that I fell into. I mean, what are the chances? Um, So my poor darling father um, dealt with that (laughs) for all of his journey and, you know, it was just a random thing. But mum was an amazing gardener. I really have taken on my passion for gardening from there. So I suppose that there was just that little thing that, that did interfere with a few midline things like riding a bike yeah. or swimming in a straight line or yeah. doing a pirouette on point shoes. I had to learn to do that with two eyes closed uh, to find my center core balance. Apart from that, though, um, I drove and I did everything that everyone else would do. And, um, yeah, that was kind of my journey there. The other little part, I suppose, to add into this is um, – At 23, I acquired a lung condition and that um, wasn't a great thing. That was really quite scary in my early 20s until I was about 29, 30. And I had amazing researchers at the Prince Charles Hospital in um, Chermside, which is a suburb of Brisbane. And it's a very key thoracic hospital here in Australia. And they did amazing research to be able to isolate and um, create the reality that there were in fact two conditions happening there and when they separated them and treated them separately I became more stable so there was a lot of learning in my 20s about resilience and about endurance against the odds of my lung because my lung was um you know it could have taken me any time in my 30 in my sorry in my 20s it could have taken me easily um I was in so many ICU uh situations um and tubed um because my lungs were really giving me a bit of grief. But look, by God's grace, um, he had more plans for me to to live forward and do. So um, I'm still here and that's a great blessing. Yeah. And so you were an educator right through that time when you were struggling with yeah, your Yeah, so I was a teacher and um, I, I'm trained um, from what we say, we say zero, we say from birth up to um, I'm trained all the way, in fact, up to postgraduate of university level. So um, through early childhood, primary, and then into secondary school, and then undergrads and postgrads have been all of the levels that I've taught. I love education. I am a educator to my bones, Andy, and that continues through my work, uh, regardless of what I do. I just have loved teaching, and um, it's very important 
in my heart to ensure um, that whatever group is in front of you, whether they're little people, um, teens, or, you know, sort of young 20s in their university years, that they are all grasping the concepts. And so my pedagogy is quite um, diverse so that I can ensure that every learning style is met and people are actually absorbing the knowledge. I've, I've been a very passionate educator my whole life. Mm. That learning style thing's huge, eh? That, um, I, you know, when I look at the the schooling system, it can very easily be tailored towards one particular kind of student. Yes. Um, and It certainly was when in the younger years, absolutely. As in, you know, like in the 70s and 80s, in particular, like, you know, everything before that, it was very structured in a, in a sort of singular way. Yeah. What, what was it that you loved most about teaching? Oh, there's a spark when the children or young people or young adults would grasp the concept and you could see it in their faces and um, you knew that it was going to stay with them forever and that was this magic of transference, not of knowledge from me to them, but sometimes you are a guide, like a travel guide or a tourist guide on a, um, you know, excursion and you're pointing out these things of observation that they people need to, you know, observe, like you're in Egypt and here are the pyramids and this is what happened and this is how they, this is how they formed and this is the history of this Um and they need to explore some of those things themselves. You know, they have to find their own interest and their own angle to become hooked into this kind of concept and to enjoy it. I don't know why I've taken ancient history as my example here, but the point is, is when they get it, they get it. And yeah. uh, whether it's grammar or a mathematical concept, whether it's music, whether it's history, sociology, it doesn't matter. It's all about the transference of knowledge and when people's they just spark their interests. And I've yeah. always been somebody who, uh, to this day, I'm a very strong believer in multiple intelligences and teaching within the within the domain of um, a general concept. So it might be um, some kind of reading device where we're, um, we might be learning with little people like the magic E on the end of a word like bake or make. Some children are going to visually just see that and understand it. Some people are going to need the song, When Two Vows Go A-Walking, the first one does the talking and it sets its own, says its own name and the other one it says, shh, nothing. <laughs> so um, there's a little song that goes with that. And sometimes I would sing that to the children because they will be the oral learners. They'll be the kinesthetic learners that need to pick up a piece of chalk and write it down on the, on the pavement in colours <laughs> and, you know, write it and write it until they get it. Um and make, you know, the word families and that. So there's all these different ways of transferring um, knowledge to people. And yeah. I would work my children in early childhood settings within their multi-ability uh, sort of learning style group. And that way the activities for the same concept could be learned in four different ways. Now that's a lot of work for a teacher, yeah. um, but it's worth it. For me it was worth it because I knew – that I was doing my very best to ensure that their natural pathway of learning um, and through their multiple intelligence of where they just naturally were gifted and, and able to understand um, sort of concepts um, was absolutely being absorbed. And that, that was a happy transference of a, of a lesson for me. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. It took me a long time to realise that not everyone learned the same way I did. Sure. Um, and actually, if you're going to pick 
a personality type or a learning style that the the educational system in this part of the world was set up for, I would be it. You know, so it didn't occur to me that there were other kids that weren't like me that found it a lot more difficult because it wasn't tailored to them and all that sort of stuff. So to have teachers like yourself be able to go, actually, let's do this in a way where everybody has a chance to get it. Yes. Um, it's just beautiful. That's what it's about. And it's all about them. It's not about you. As a teacher, it is the most soft stuff. If you are, look, if you have a heart of a teacher, a teacher heart, then you are there for the kids or for your students, no matter what age they are. And um, for me, the pay packet was, you know, just this endless surprise every fortnight that would come in <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I truly could have signed up to the convent and become a teaching nun. I, I absolutely could have done that in my early <laughs> years. Yeah. Um, I wasn't Catholic. I went to a Catholic school. Um, and around 14, I remember the nuns coming around and asking if anybody felt a calling on God, um, you know, to serve their life um, in a way that, you know, was service to God. And I put my hand up, absolutely believing that my entire life, no matter what I was going to be doing, was going to be service to God. And uh, I can remember uh, the principal saying, oh, Donna, darling, you need to be Catholic first. I was <laughs> All requirement. Um, so, oh, you know, but that wouldn't have stopped me. I would have, you know, joined the Anglican or Lutheran nuns or something if yeah. I had chosen that path. Because really, my whole life was a vocation and uh, for teaching. And I, I look at that for every area of my professional life that I have served. It's all been, um, okay, God, what next? And even in the darkest times when I really didn't know what was next. God just always shone torch lights for me by lighting my heart up with enthusiasm for something. Um, you know, people always wonder about how God talks to us. It can simply be the joy. If you are finding something difficult and out of your realm and, you know, it's like pulling teeth to do, then chances are you're not supposed to do it, you know. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm very strong about focus and resilience. Um, but there are some things that we're round pegs in square holes for, and that's not what we're meant to be. I think for this life, um, I have had thus far a very blessed life, but a very privileged life, but I've had some really twirly stuff that's happened, um, cyclonic kind of episodes in my life where um, my life could be very, very different. I mean, Andy, for starters, yeah. I'm an adopted child. Um, right. And I have only just recently, very, very recently, in fact, in March, met some members of my bloodline family. And that was over in Scotland. Wow. And I met some cousins. And that's fantastic. The life that I have, I know would have been very, very different to the one that I could have had. And so I see that for the gifts and talents that God has given to me, they were absolutely able to be developed in my adoption. Mm. And I'm not sure that I would have been able to have done or had the opportunities that I had if I hadn't been adopted. I would have also had a blessed life because God is like that. He's, you know, he loves us. He wants the best for us all. I do think, though, that I was given the golden ticket of the Willy Wonka, you know, Willy Wonka chocolate factory yeah. um, <laughs> prize of adoption because I had 
family that allowed me to, they didn't really understand my creative streak, but they enabled it. Yeah. And that was their sacrifice because I came from a very sporty and quite an academic family, but, but, you know, quite a sporty family and sport is in Australia as New Zealand, pretty high on the, on the rankings. Right. And um, when you're artistic and creative, that's almost a juxtaposition to the sporting kind of thinking. So um, ballet and the arts gave me a stream forward to truly develop um, what I obviously loved doing. Um, it wasn't something that I then made my profession out of to begin with, but God doesn't waste anything because when the cyclone came with my lung, I started writing from my hospital bed um, when I couldn't um, be doing the other things that I wanted to do. Um, when my cyclone with my health came in other ways, God then returned the creative arts to me and nothing was wasted. So I see, um, you know, I see God working in marvellous ways, but I don't want you to think that I, you know, sit here with sunshine beaming over yeah. the pathway, yeah, you know, all the day because, you know, it's it's a choice to wake up happy, Andy. It's a choice to wake up and even when I am in incredible depths of health, um, where I'm really, really, really sick, um, there is still there is still that joy of this beauty of the earth. Yeah. And um, there's a beautiful choral piece. Rutter um, is the surname of the fellow who uh, arranged this piece. So if you look up uh, Beauty of the Earth by Rutter, <clears throat> um, you will find the song. It's a very beautiful piece. That song came to me later in life and it really has been um, testament, I suppose, for when I feel unwell, there's always something to be grateful for and to live in a state of wonder of. I live in a state of wonder about space science, the galaxies and the stars and planets totally blow me away at the best of times. And um, I'm very grateful that I have that wonder and academic interest in it too, I suppose, um, because I can no longer see the stars. On a full moon, I can work out, you know, the moon, but otherwise, you know, the sky is is basically a past tense of my world. So, um, yeah, so there's blessings that we find. Why don't you talk about that? Like how did how did things change for you in your 40s? Sure. Um, on the 12th of January, 2012, um, I was wrapping my mum's birthday present. We lost my mum this year, which was very sad, thanks mm. to COVID, which is an awful thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I was wrapping up my mum's birthday present and um, I realised suddenly I was feeling the bows and no longer seeing them. <clears throat> and that was a stroke ended up being a stroke. Now, for some people, perhaps some people feel a stroke. Some people have strokes in their sleep and they wake up and they realise that they've had a stroke and they haven't felt it through their sleep. I've had a bunch of them and I've never felt a single one of them. I'm more aware of the sensation more than, you know, I'm in agony of pain or whatever. Um, It's just like this sort of flood of fluid that I'm aware of in my head and I don't, uh, I, 
it's always an issue of I know what's coming and it's going to be, you know, another uphill kind of battle. Um, so the first stroke took my eyesight. Now, remember that I was blind in my left eye from when I was two, so it took my right eye. Now, it took it completely, so I was completely and utterly in the dark. And by the grace of God, Suri phone with her Apple, you can just ask Suri to do all sorts of things, like call people and call the triple O and all sorts um, and I was so grateful that that had been invented because otherwise um, I may not have been able to have the emergent help that I was able to get so quickly. Um, and being able to have emergent help, you know, instantly when you have a stroke is critical to how you're going to uh, recover from that stroke as well. So I was able to get to the Mata Hospital and they were able to uh, assist me and we didn't really know why that took place. And then 10 months later, um, I was having constant MRIs, and 10 months later they found an inoperable brain tumour. So wow. that has sort of been my life. I was able to gain a slice of sight in my right eye back, um, so I'm legally blind. That slice of sight is looking at an analogue clock, and that means a non-digital digital clock <laughs> so yeah. if your yeah. um, hands of the clock are on seven minutes past two and we count out the minutes seven minutes eight minutes nine minutes ten minutes past two where the two hands are crisscross over each other so that three minute wedge is what I see through all of the time and that's it wow. it's just a tiny little slice up there on my right eye and that's what I call the curtains parted um and by the grace of God, that happened because um, I worked out pretty quickly that I would be able to cope without sight. But having a tiny, tiny bit of sight um, allows me to navigate the world a little easier than if with, without any sight. Now, understand with blindness, the blindness is on a spectrum. So people will have a pinhole of sight, they will have peripheral sight, everybody's sight is different. And it's really challenging at times, we're standing somewhere like, for example, in the bakery, when somebody behind you works out that you've got a white cane and you're trying to work out what you'd like in the cabinet, um, and then you sort of point to something, and then they go, you're not blind. <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me totally. turn around. You just, you picked the right person because I'm a teacher and so now you're going to get the lesson, you know, yeah, about yeah. blindness. Um, <laughs> but it is a complete and utter spectrum um, on a bell curve of how much sight people have. So from low vision to, you know, basically living in the dark to the legal blindness status, there's very, very, very minimal difference between living in the dark and the blindness status. If there's a sun... Um, if the sun is strong and it's coming into my wedge of sight, then Andy, basically I've got nothing. Um, it will right. take out any vision I've got. Um, I'm really, really good at nighttime. When there's no lights going into the theatre or something, I can find my seat in a blink because, you know, if you're lost in the city and there's someone with a blind dog, a, a, a guide dog or a yeah. white cane, please ask them for directions. It sounds crazy, <laughs> but dear Lord, do we know where we are? <laughs> yeah, of course. So we're very tuned into things that people wouldn't actually kind of get, yeah? yeah. Um, so on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, the blindness came and it would be dismissive of me to not 
um, add in that for three months I was in a very dark place, even yeah, with right. my faith. Um, the dark place came because I couldn't imagine um, my husband having to, you know, go through our life with joy when this incredible weight had been put upon us. And now this was the second weight that had encountered our marriage because the first weight came when we lost our only child. And that was really hard, Andy. And so therefore I, I share this context of, of medical change like this, nothing at all is like the grief of losing your child. And so I think that the loss of my sight, the loss of my independence Everything changed when I lost my side. So it wasn't just the stroke. It was the sight loss that took my career, that took my mobility, that took my independence. Um, And really, with my career loss, it took my reading. Keep in mind, I'm a specialist of words. (laughs) So that was pretty hard to take. Um, And it took my publishing world. It took... Um, also my friends in many ways because my friends were working and couldn't just down tools and come and hang out with me. And I'd had a world of colleagues and students where I was seeing, you know, probably around 200 people on average on a very slow day. And then suddenly I was in the darkness sitting in a chair on my own and my husband had to go to work. And we have NDIS in this country now, but at that time we didn't. And I had no help and it was very, very uh, lonely and some dark thoughts went through my mind of, you know, how much does my husband have to actually endure (laughs) because I want him to have a happy, you know, productive wife here, not um, somebody who, you know, is suddenly, you know, we have OTs that come in and people guide you through this new world of being blind and it's kind of like, it's best that you don't use the knife and it's best that you do, in the early days, you know, yes. these things are, so these things are hot, you, all those things. And you yeah. just feel like all your capabilities are kind of diminished. But that also becomes a choice, Andy. And I decided after about, I don't know, the first kind of week or so, I fell down the front stairs being blind and broke three ribs, chipped my tailbone. And the doctors just said, you have to sit until we get some mobility help for you, learn how to use a cane, get a guide dog or one of those things. So sitting wasn't a good thing um, because I realised that my head was going into these pretty dark, sad places. And so I decided to sit at my piano and mathematically work it out. Now, could I play the piano before, considering we had one in the house? Pretty badly. Um, I don't even think that it's fair to say that I could even find a chord on the thing. My um, very, very dear friend is a classical concert pianist and is unbelievable, like, you know, one of the world-leading kind of level ones. And so there was always a piano in our home for when she'd come over to play at Christmas time, right? (laughs) (laughs) All the dinner parties, that's why the piano was here. And I just thought it was a great opportunity. What the the gift that had been given to me, Andy, was time. And I never had time to learn the piano prior. I was busy as a course coordinator at a university, you know, running schools, starting different projects with other schools, very, very busy. And so now everything stopped and it was quiet and it was still. And so I sat down at the piano because I was told I had to sit. And so I sat and I worked out that piano and I worked it out for, you know, about eight good months. And then 
Um, they found the inoperable brain tumour and I realised that my life could be short um, at that point. What was I going to do with it? And the great thing in those eight months is what I realised is that maybe the fact that God has, you know, God doesn't, you know, I don't believe that God gives us illness. I think yeah. that that's just something that the human yeah. body is capable of, totally. you know, con- contracting or, you know. But he will bless us through the darkness is how I see it. And my blessing through the darkness was understanding that my eyes were only one of five senses. You know, it's it wasn't all of it. It's one of yeah. So I've, lo- I've lost one-fifth but I still have four fifths and that's a good thing, right? Like yeah. we can still taste and smell and hear and touch and they were good enough for me and my he- my hearing became quite accelerated and that was a great thing too because it meant that I could um, enjoy music to a greater level. Um, sound became really important to me so I lost my sight but I gained my creative vision at that point and realised that if my eyes were going to be closed, that God had certainly opened up my ears and that yeah. music was going to be a way forward. The next year I was um, put forward for a federal fellowship um, and you know, about 20 people, I think over three sessions of this went through that. There were people there from the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport, who had had injuries. There were people from the SAS Army, like, you know, landmines and all sorts. Mm. And they had had some kind of disruption in their life and career and an acquired disability. And uh, the idea was to kind of transfer your skill set over to something else. And so my... um, my name was put forward and I was offered one of these sp- these places and I said that I would be really interested in transferring my skill set to music. Now, keep in mind, Andy, I was not a music teacher because everyone yeah. kind of thinks that I was and yeah, I yeah. wasn't a music teacher. So I was able to gain a mentor and to um, develop my musicality and writing. It was very easy transference of skill set to be able to go from rhyming couplets in children's literature to rhyming lines in lyrics, very transferable space. Mm. I understood meter and rhyme, you know, impeccably as an academic. So that was a very easy part of the transference. I became a guaranteed lyricist for many people because of my ability to write and poetically understand, um, be able to tell a story in so many verses. And then um, because of my musicality, I was able to start just hearing these amazing melodies in my mind and I realised at that point that this was going to be the gift from God. This was the moment that I don't take any of the glory for the melody. I know that God has given me an incredible intelligence Mm. and a very long lineage of learning to be an expert in writing you know, be it poetry, books, writing, lyrics, whatever, um, in the writing part because that's a craft that has to be uh, really refined from a grammar perspective from, you know, from a place of of a lot of time and a lot of, uh, I suppose, practice, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> You don't just kind of stumble in that. You do kind of need to know what you're doing. So with that under my belt, I realized that these melodies were coming to me and I was able to then kind of 
flow them out through the piano or a guitar. Now, a guitar can come into this conversation quickly because I could play three chords maximum on a guitar and that was one of the things that I had strung on the back of my back when I was an early childhood teacher because if a kid didn't understand the magic E, like we talked about before, I would be able to sing a little song to them and uh, that was another pathway. Neuropathways, fantastic different ways that we learn. So that was always a a skill that I did have in my little kit when I went blind. I did know three chords on the guitar. Yeah. Um, that's now advanced to a few more, which is exciting. Uh, but I can say three, three is a good place to start for three for is a, lot a good of songs. place to start. Yeah, that's right. Um, and also, I'd grown up with a worship band in my church, yeah. and I would often be one of the worship leaders or one of the vocalists. So. Um, I was very aware of working in that kind of space, but I never saw that as performance. That was only ever worship. And so this was a new kind of space of having to put that music together. Anyway, the Federal Fellowship um, allowed me a mentor and I was able to start working with um, incredible people and learn how to co-write. That was fantastic. Um, Those co-writers have now become very, very close friends. And what I was bringing to that co-writing session was this incredible thing that I didn't even realise that I had until it was really brought to my attention how useful the transference of my literacy ability would be. So that was a blessing. And then I started writing on my own and uh, I still co-write to this day. I'm a really, I'm, I'm a passionate collaborator. I, it's not because I'm blind, it's because I love people. And I think that we're better together. And so um, any artist that thinks that they do it completely on their own, I won't fall for that line because it takes an audience to accept it and hear it. So even in a partnership with an audience, you know, you you aren't on your own, you know. And um, there are people at the back ends of the distribution sort of areas of music and they're all working their magic to get your music out there in the world. So there's so many people that actually make a partnership to get a song out into the world. So I love the whole collaboration thing. In 2016, I was the Australian Songwriter of the Year. In 2022, 21, I was the um, Australian Children's Songwriter of the Year and that all came from the Australian Songwriting Association and APRA. And so that's been a really, um, you know, it's been a, a journey, but that's kind of where I am now. And I'm, I have three labels signed with um, MGM and ABC globally. And I'm pretty happy. I suppose that's the short, the short line. Yeah. Does that blow your mind when you look back and go, here's me sitting in the dark at a piano and figuring this thing out and now you know here I am with awards and labels and contracts you know is that yeah it does I think um but God is good right God has a plan we don't have a plan God has a plan and doesn't waste anything this is my this is my learning um you know people say these are things I know for sure well Andy what I know for sure is that God does not waste anything if he's given you a gift and or a talent it I, I I'm quite outspoken about this so <laughs> bear bear with me um it doesn't just happen if you have a gift for running you might work that out in primary school but if you don't keep running you won't make the olympics right you've got to 
put into this stuff, you've got to serve the gifts that you've been given. Otherwise, you're wasting it in some ways. Um, And our gifts are not meant for us. Even if you are a runner and you train and train and then you get a gold medal, well, the gold medal is not really for you. It's actually to represent your country and it's a country achievement as well. Yeah. Um, everybody at home who can't run are cheering you on, feeling great because, you know, there you are and the, the New Zealand flag goes up or the Australian flag goes up in our case and we're all cheering on, yay, Australia, or yay, New Zealand, you know what I mean? Like it's if you're an amazing footballer, you need to go out and catch and kick that ball until you are an outstanding footballer because amazing is not good enough, yeah? And I'm very driven, Andy, and a lot of people aren't. So I'm very respectful of where people's um, motivation is. As an educator, I've seen the spectrum of that. Um, but I won't waste something because when I when I meet God, Andy, I want to be empty because I want to say to him truly that I've used everything you've given me. That's my goal. So... All of the awards, um, I'm presently in the lounge room at home uh, where I'm speaking to you at the moment and we're in the development of thinking about building a studio underneath our home. But in the meantime, I've got two years of awards that are in a folder because we haven't got any more space on the wall literally for the frames. And, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm very humble about that because it's the awards are not why I do it. I, I've yeah. hit, when you hit the millions on the streaming, um, Around the world, Andy, around the world, children are singing and dancing to my music around the world. And that blows my mind. That's yeah. what blows my mind. Um, the technology blows my mind. I don't really understand it. But it's, it's just, you know, it gets everything out there, right? Your podcasts around the world. Everyone can hear it. And that is, that's the magic. And that's where I see God using these brilliant minds who are technical, who have created these platforms. And although, yes, they rob the artist of money, they certainly get our stuff out to a very yeah. large audience, right? Yeah. So there is a kind of give and take there. Um, but the kids dancing in their lounge rooms around the world or in their classrooms or on the school concert stage or, you know, at the kindy graduation or at the school choir at for that that is the award, Andy. Yeah. That is how I am still a teacher. And that makes me very happy. It sounds very similar to what you were saying about why you love teaching. You know, that yeah. seeing that spark or seeing that joy and and yeah. um and and you're still doing it. You've just got a, a new way of doing it. Um, yeah. And in a way that suits who you are. Yeah. my children's label is called Spotty Kites. Uh Spotty because you know, polka dots are kind of cute and childish, aren't they? They're really cute and happy. And kites, because it's the universal toy of the child, it's free. It, children around the world understand a kite. Um, they can make it from a intergenerational experience with their grandparents or aunts or uncles or neighbours. Um, they can do it at a library craft fair, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's so Spotty Kites became the label. And through Spotty Kites, um, it really is literacy through music so every single song is a story you can take every single lyric into a classroom and deconstruct it and do an entire literacy lesson from it 
Um, we have a NAPLAN examination in Australia here, which is working out, you know, if kids are kind of, you know, meeting the quota of where they should be for their age in literacy. I'm not a huge fan of formalized testing like that because yeah. we all learn at different stages and ages. So I think it really is not the greatest tool. Um, however, it is a tool and, and it's out there and, you know, you can't do much about it when it's governed for the whole nation. Um but I wrote a song called Washing Scruffy because for a narrative, for a situation, complication and a resolution in a story, in a song, if a child learns Washing Scruffy, they can change the scruffy dog for washing a guinea pig or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if they recount that story on a piece of paper with a pencil, they should pass their NAPLAN exam if it's a narrative, um, a procedure genre for the baking song. It goes on and on. All of the songs, there's like over 100 in Spotty Cards, but they all have a literacy device associated with them. They're much it's more awesome. than a song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which which is so special. It's taking all of the, like you're saying, nothing's wasted. You know, it's taking all of the things that are part of who you are and putting them together in a way that's still doing the stuff that you love to do, which I think is just beautiful. Uh, and it's, a privilege and I don't take it for granted it's not something that you know I'm not I'm not any more special than any other human on the earth Andy in doing what I'm doing we all have gifts and talents it's a matter of what sparks your joy and doing more of that because you will find a way you know of making money from that if that is what you need to do but it's not about money I mean you know gosh I went from a fortnightly wage as an educator and education leader and academic to nothing and music is not the greatest payer right so yeah. we have yeah. to pay a lot to make the albums but um you know it's not it's not the great return it's not the best in, in return um not like a fortnightly wage but my world is governed by this vocational calling and my yeah. vocational calling is to help kids and to be able to give to them something that I still can give and you know it's a privilege so I I don't kind of um, yeah, I get up in the morning and, and there's days when I'm not motivated because that's all of us. Um, however, that joy, is it, it will never leave me. It comes to me by about 9.15 and I will find a way to get back to my craft and keep doing it. And that's what I encourage people listening to this podcast to do is to find their joy and to, you know, you'll know your joy because it's the spark and that's your happy place. And it could be you know, it might be the most tiniest thing. You might be taking your pet to an aged care home to do visitations, you know, um, yeah. and the joy that every one of those um, elderly folk will, will find when they see your pet coming around to their room on that day. What a gift. What a gift you are doing. What an impact you would be giving to, you know, people's lives. It doesn't have to be, you know, doing anything particularly special, but mm. it, it's about doing something to benefit someone else's life because we're not here. We're not here as solo um, silos, are we? We're here to be in community and yeah. we're here to bless others. And, you know, that's what communion is all about is where the word comes from and and we, we need to be in communication. All those words is what our world is about and what our world is hungering for, Andy. You yeah. know, I think people desperately want to be in community with each other but they don't know how and and the the computers certainly with kids on screens it's certainly 
creating, you know, isolation. And, and of course, COVID did that as well. Um, but it, we need to get up and get off our butts and get into community again, quite frankly. I, I'm a big believer in it, in any little way that we can do it. I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, the what sparks joy for you and then, you know, taking the, the pet around the rest home or whatever, that, you know, it's this idea that actually joy sparks joy as well. You know, that if you find the thing that, that brings you joy, then you're going to bring other people joy. Um, yeah. And, and joy I, comes I mean, from giving, Andy. It's all I, about I hear that even, even in just listening to you and your story, you know, I'm feeling more joyful because you're oh, sharing that's... all of this joy of, of what this journey has been like for you and, and not leaving out uh, the, the hard stuff, but yeah. going, but actually like, I love this, you know, and I love changing people's lives and I love connecting with the kids and, and I'm excited by that, you know, and I'm excited to be able to share that with, with the people who are listening to this. Um, because we all, I think if we all find that thing that brings us joy, then that will, we can share that. And that's something that, you know, I, I'm really big on that. Actually, one of the things we're called to do in life is to bring some joy to the world. Um, in whatever little tiny way we can do that. Absolutely. And look, there are times that I'm an absolute cranky pants, Andy. I mean, after <laughs> some of the strokes, it's yeah, pretty hard to walk. And yeah. my feet really hurt and I'm in a lot of pain. And uh, sometimes the tumour gives me a lot of pain. Um, but the reality is you've got to find the joy even in that space, yeah? And you've got to find yeah. – in those moments for me, my joy comes from finding gratitude. And NDIS has blessed me incredibly with um, some very beautiful people that would not be in my life if um, this hadn't happened, yeah? And I don't take anything for granted or anyone for granted. Everyone in my life I see that God has somehow uh, woven his tapestry of weaving them into my life. And, um, you know, every situation encounter that's very different for me. I'm the National Ambassador for Vision Australia, um, so I do a little work for them and that's that's a joy. Um, but, you know, the, there's lots of other things that I'm very passionate about. I've been on almost every children's book council board, um, the literacy boards, the Meg Gibbs, all of those kind of ones for children reading. I'm very, very passionate about an organisation called War Child, which is about giving um, authors and artists giving a percentage of their royalty to be able to create um, development of new play parks in war-torn countries so yeah, that children right. can get some sort of normality. Um, there are so many things in the world that are bad, Andy, but we have to find the good and the good in even the horror of war is looking and finding the helpers. And when we find the people who are helping and are there caring on the ground or are doing supportive work from afar to get funds to them, you know, that's where we have to find the blessing. That's where we have to put the energy of gratitude in. And, um, you know, eventually wars will pass and new seasons come. Um, but all the way along, community stands, all the way along, people caring for each other, doing one small thing. You know, a cake stall in your local community, literally, that money at the moment could be buying bandages for babies done, yeah. you know, the Israel camp. So it's, it's from save the children fund or any of the organizations that are that are sort of helping at the moment but even in the the horror andy we can still find sparks to be grateful for 
those people that are helping, those people that are reaching out. And when you're alone in your room and uh, for the people who might be listening and going through a challenge, in the times when you are most alone, that is truly a gift of time and that's what we need to find the gratitude for. In a busy life, you you lose time. The thing that the most wealthiest, busiest people want is time. It's the thing that they probably, you know, you can't you can't buy it, right? And so you can't bottle it. <laughs> and so when you do find yourself in a stillness, that is a gift of time. It's a time to be reflective, to be prayerful. You have a gift of time to pray for the people in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and Russia all of the horror that's happening around the world, you know, we have this privilege of time and we can be the prayer warriors or we can be the ones who write the encouraging letters to somebody who's lonely or we can, you know, we can find something that we're capable of doing for someone else and that makes the loneliness go away because we're in a spirit of gratitude and giving. Um, it's a, mm. it's all about the love, isn't it? That's um, That's what I feel that we're called to do is just – really love each other yeah oh that's fantastic and like you say you've done some um ambassador work uh you're you're also a big advocate um and for you know people who have gone through the sort of things that you've gone through you know chronic illnesses or whatever yeah what what's changed in you or what having gone through those things what sort of attitudes have changed in you or that you would like to see changed and other people when it comes to the way that they connect with chronic illnesses or things like I think that. Um, I've been a spokesperson for Rare Disease Days as well as um, obviously for Vision Australia. Um, I think that with all things, when I'm in a wheelchair and especially if I've got an oxygen cylinder behind me, it's tricky, you know. You, you, you realise the limitations for people who are in chairs all the time because I have the gift that my chairs only last for a season at the moment. Um, There'll be a time potentially. I've had um, five strokes and three TIAs now. So um, there'll be a time when potentially a stroke will completely paralyse one of my sides and I'll be, you know, chair-ridden. I think that it's a really tricky thing we are still not an accessible society um we're not uh you'll find that there'll be even like the accessible bathrooms and you know the locks sometimes don't work (laughs) you know they're on a shopping center walkway where everyone's walking past and the door can just fling open it's that you know things sometimes are not as easy as what they should be And I'm a huge advocate for accessibility and also in the arts. uh, We don't have accessible theatres at times. There'll only be four seats for wheelchairs. Well, what if 30 want to come? There's Auslan interpretation at concerts and sometimes there's no one with a hearing impairment. However, there's no audio description for the blind. (laughs) You know, there's all of these things that we need to be or a quiet room for somebody with a sensory issue. Um, I'd like to see a lot more awareness of stuff like that um, and provision where it becomes a norm, where it becomes a norm, Andy, and that we look at each other's hearts and not at our um, – so I, I don't like the word disability. It's not something 
uh, I've just been involved in a disability conference um, and a festival, an arts festival. And, you know, it is a disability arts festival. That's what it is. I feel that the word dis means not. And I feel very enabled, not disabled. I have multiple disabilities, but I choose to be enabled through them all and um, I will find a way forward. And if I can't find a way forward, Andy, I'll try and be a voice to help the next generation have a way forward. I remember all the way back on my third episode, um, Emma, who I was talking to there, uh, talked about differabilities. You know, it's not disabilities, it's different abilities. Yeah, I love that. And people that. are people are all differently abled. Yes. Um, and and actually it's been a recurring theme actually on the podcast as well, this idea that, you know, the way that society does or doesn't cater to those different abilities is actually what disables you in a in a lot of ways. Yes. Um and so yeah, I think there's so much that we can do as a society to be more inclusive and not yeah. just talk about being more inclusive, you know, not just have it as an ideal, but actually yeah, go, that's what does it. that look not like? Not use it as a lip service, right? Yeah. And, and Andy, I think that um, the greatest blessing uh, truly, is, it's a blessing being blind. Um, people may think that that's a ridiculous statement, um, but I live it. So mm. I'm really speaking from the heart and a truth that is for me. This is my truth. It yeah. may not be for somebody else. But the blessing for me being blind is I only see people's hearts. The judgment of life dissipates because there's no, um, I don't know what shoes someone is wearing at times. I don't know what fancy card or not that they have. Um, I see a heart that wants to drive me from A to B for an appointment or I see a heart that wants to spend time and sit down and talk or help me, you know, prepare dinner or whatever. Um, I see hearts that want to collaborate with me and you know I don't care how many awards are in their house it's it's or in their their studio it's a privilege because those things of the world don't seem to matter um like once you know you kind of you know I've lived in a world of academia and and education Mm. leadership and you know you work your way through the slog to get to those kind of places and um, all of that doesn't matter. Degrees don't matter to me anymore because I can't use any of them. <laughs> like learning does. Learning matters. Yeah. Yes. And I'm really pro. If people don't find school attainable for them, we learn through so many different ways. Yeah. You know, there's courses outside school that will give people qualifications and a way forward that the school metric won't necessarily yeah. do. So there's multiple pathways to get to the same result. And I think that, you know, what I'd really like to see is that we just look at people's hearts and we look at people's possibilities and capabilities and what they enjoy, where is their spark, and we become encouragers, you know. So I've had a lot more time to reflect about things like that since being blind, and I'm really grateful for that because I see things much clearer being blind than I did sighted. I feel very, um, very blessed with a little bit more wisdom. Maybe that comes with age, but um, it's also that some of the things don't matter. Some of the things that, you know, you fuss about, you spend so much time 
shopping for the right outfit for something. But realistically, somebody like me will only see your heart. Yes. It's all that matters. Yeah. It's all that I'll remember. And and it's the same as what most people will. You know, unless you're working in an elite fashion industry where fashion really, really matters, the truth is we don't really remember what anybody wore to the last year's awards. We remember how they treated us, right? It's yes. like schools and teachers and relationships with work colleagues. We don't remember what they wore or you know, what suburb they lived in or what car they drove. We remember how they treated us. They remember the relationship that we had with them. And I think that that's the stuff, that's the meaty stuff that matters in life. And it's been a privilege being blind to work that one out. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful note to finish on. Um, yeah, it's just such a beautiful concept that I think most people would never have thought that that could be a possibility. And so for you to state it that clearly, I think, is, is a real challenge to us all to to value what's really important in life. So, um, yeah, thank you for taking time to chat with us today. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the, the way that you just constantly want to see others honoured and um, growing and flourishing. And so, yeah, thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thank you, Andy. It's just, um, it's a joy to chat with you. And um, I just hope that your listeners um, find their spark and uh, yeah, go forward in that, in that sense of joy today. Hello, hello heaven. Will I hear you whisper to come I'm so grateful to Donna for sharing herself with us. I don't think she's an inspiration because she's overcome a disability. In fact, I'm not sure that disability is something people need to overcome at all. Rather, Donna is an inspiration because she follows her passions and uses her talents to love people, no matter what happens in her life. She pivots, she changes and grows, but she never loses herself. Her attitude is infectious and her work is sublime. Donna, thank you for who you are and for what you do. Here is a blessing for you. Donna, may you and your husband continue to know the joys of life in the good times and the hard times. In those harder times, especially as your body's capability changes, may you always keep hold of that joy and that hope, that attitude that chooses to be enabled in whatever ways you can. May you continue to be surrounded by people whose hearts are good, who bring you life as you also bring life to them. May you continue to be surprised by the types of people you spend time with that you might not have spent time with in your sighted days. People whose hearts tell you so much more about them than you could ever see with your eyes. And may they continue to challenge and inspire you on in your journey of love and acceptance. May you continue to find creative vision in new ways, letting your creativity mould and adapt to where you find yourself and who you find yourself with. May your songs continue to make their way around the world, bringing life and joy to children and adults everywhere. May there be an abundance of dancing and singing, of learning and growing because of the gift you are to the world and the treasures you release as a result. May you continue to find opportunities to be a voice for those who are dismissed, neglected or silenced as well as those of future generations. 
May you know that the legacy that you are leaving is great and that many, many lives have been and will continue to be made better because of who you are and what you do. As you ballet less these days, may you indeed belly more, letting the fire in your belly continue to drive you to love, encourage and nurture the life in others through your music, your advocacy and your presence. Lastly, may you know that your heart is seen that you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia, and thanks to all of you for listening. It's all of you listening who make this thing what it is. And if you found these conversations valuable, please tell a friend about them. That would be a wonderful Christmas present to me. Thanks too to all of my guests this year. You are wonderful human beings, and I am so blessed to have spoken with you. This podcast takes a break now for the New Zealand summer, Launching again sometime in February 2024. Nga mihi nui ki Thanks to you all. Until then, me inoi tato. E to matau matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Hummai kia mātou ai nei He taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Mūro mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga e hara ana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawea Kia whakawaia Engari whakorangi a mātou I te kino ah.